Having a mentor in life is vital. Having someone to guide you, to advise you, to be your sounding board. They're the individual who's done what you want to do. They're living the life you want to have. They've achieved what you want to achieve. But what so many people forget is that that person was once where most of us are now. They've had day one of starting out. They've had so many questions. It's likely they've had a mentor too. This week's episode is about going back to the beginning, exploring the mentality of a successful entrepreneur, whether you ever really stop learning, and what happens when the mentee becomes the mentor. Welcome to this week's episode of the Rebel Entrepreneur Takeover Special. The extraordinary belongs to those that created. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to the Rebel Entrepreneur. So as you can tell, probably from my dulcet tones, I'm not Alan Donegan, but he is here though. So please don't just turn off your uh, podcast just yet. Um, I'm Michael Redford. Uh, you may have heard me. I was on episode 10 of this season, the failed mini experiment. And Alan kindly took the time to interview me. And now he's kindly given me the reins for me to turn the tables on him. So Alan, I was going to say good afternoon because it is good afternoon where I am, but I'm never sure where you are. So is it good afternoon? It's good morning. It's 10 past nine in Bogota, Colombia. I'm just waking up with a coffee and getting on with life. So yeah, good day, good morning, good afternoon. Who knows when people are listening to this. (laughs) Thank you for joining Michael and I. Yeah, very much so. Thank you for letting me interview you. I hope you you know what you've let yourself in for here because I'm very nosy. (laughs) It's part of the fun. (laughs) I think that the basis on what I wanted to, to talk to you about and base this episode around was for anyone who's followed you, listened to you, done your courses, your advice and your knowledge is very to the point. It's very efficient. It always feels like it's very accurate. And I would wanted to take you all the way back to day one and where you started to gather that information. Because when we first spoke back in May 2020, I interviewed you for Peak Positivity. And at the end of that conversation, you said, how can I help you? And it completely threw me. It completely stumped me because no one had ever offered to help as as <laughs> sort of as sort of pitiful as that sounds. And so I, I started to to follow you and stay in touch with you and, and I did Rebel Business School and I've recently completed your, your finance course as well. And now I see you as a, a mentor to me. And given how many people are on those courses, both at the Rebel Business School and on the financial course, I don't think I'm the only one. So my first question is a simple one. Are you aware that you're a mentor to, to so many people and, and what does that word mean to you? So I guess I never really use that word. I just kind of do my best to help. And I just share the ideas that have had an impact on my life. And that's actually where this quest started was I went on a course that changed my world. And I went from shy, nervous, neurotic, a bit of a mess to having a bit more confidence and being able to operate in the world. And I was like, this is amazing. This is incredible. Other people need this. Why doesn't everyone know this? I've got to share it. Come on. And I got excited (laughs) and want to share it with the world. And that's where this whole thing started from. Can I ask how long ago that was that you you stumbled on that course? You found that course? Well, I think the real stumbling moment when things changed for me was when I was handed a book. And at that particular time, my parents were getting divorced I worked in the family business. You do not want to work in the family business whilst your parents are getting divorced. So I lost my job. 
my family was ripped apart. I went to see my girlfriend and say, I want to go traveling. Do you want to come to Brazil with me? I know you don't have money. I'll pay. And she said, no, thanks, Alan. I don't really love you anymore. So I lost my family. I lost my job and I lost my girlfriend and I was in a complete hole. And uh, this guy handed me a book. It's called Notes from a Friend by Tony Robbins. And his name was Matt. He completely changed my life. I'd never heard of self-development. I'd never heard of personal development. And he pretty much gave it to me just as I left Brazil. I left to Brazil and I put it in my bag and I went to Brazil and I had a few dark days of like, what am I doing here? First place I went to had bars on the windows and was on the edge of one of the slums. And I was thinking, what am I doing here? I'm all on my own in Brazil. And then I just remembered this book that was in my bag. And I remember sitting on Copacabana Beach, reading Notes from a Friend by Tony Robbins and thinking, why don't they teach this stuff at school? Who knew this stuff? Mind-blowing. And when I read it now, it feels like a fairly basic self-help book. But at the time, as a 20, 21-year-old, it was mind-blowing, this information. And that sent me on a trajectory of, if this information had this impact on my life, what else can I learn? Do you see that as steps across a pond? Because even then listening to that answer, you had so much going on, it would have been very easy to to sort of have, I'm going to use an expletive here, but fuck overload, where everything just feels like it's all over you. And so do you track, were you able to track your progress from day one to where you are now? Or have you just acted on the moment, acted on what needs to get done next? I was not as organized, thoughtful. I had not learned that OneNote existed where I keep all my notes. I had not it's an incredible tool for keeping stuff organized. But I didn't know any of this, Michael. I just, I just, this particular book taught about goal setting, people's rules, how to interact with people. So I started to set goals. That started to direct me. I started to take action towards the goals. But it was still so early, still so early. I was 21, which is... I was born in 1978. Yeah, making me do maths now. It was a long (laughs) time ago. And I just kind of acted. At that stage, I was just like, I just need to do things. And because I love that book so much, I started to read his other books, which are like massive tomes, which have some good information in them, but they're a bit hard to follow. And started to read his other books, which he said he got some of his information from this thing called NLP, which then I was like, what is that? went and read his books. They were a bit confusing and eventually managed to get myself on a course. And I think that course was the first, like that was the game-changing course. I booked myself on an actual physical self-development course. I was probably 24, 23, 24. Was, went on a 14-day self-development course and that just blew my mind. I was like, whoa what like this stuff is incredible and then i just kept learning and i think that was the that was the bit but up until that course it was a bit more haphazard the course gave me some more skills to train my thinking to think about the way i was and then i guess actually the real explosion in self development happened when i set up my own business and i wanted to write courses and actually i needed to sell courses so i sold a course on time management And then after I'd sold the course on time management, I was like, whoa, okay, I need to put some content into it and create it. You could buy courses. So you can literally log online and buy a pre-made time management course that you then sell to corporates. 
And I was like, I don't want to do that. I, that costs me money. <laughs> I'm not spending money. I'm going to learn it myself. So I got the top three books on time management. I found the CD sets on time management, and I pretty much went about devouring 20 or 30 books, CD sets and stuff on time management and wrote a course to give to other people. And by the time I'd finished that study, I genuinely knew more about time management, getting things done, the ability to make progress than most people around just because I'd studied it. But that's a huge dedication to your cause. So for the average Joe, were you working at this point? Were you, how were you bringing money in? So I had a job as a landscaper, which I got fired, like paid to leave. And that gave me a little bit of money (laughs) to be able to start my own business. And I was so inspired by this first NLP course, I booked onto the next one. And the one I booked onto was in America. So as a 25-year-old, not really knowing what I was doing, I flew out to Florida, met the co-founder of this thing, went on one of his courses with a hundred other people and just, it changed my world. I had no idea any of this stuff existed. It completely rocked my world. And then I came back and tried to sell courses based on what I'd learned, develop courses. But I had, at that time, I was living at home with my parents, with my mum, not my parents. Uh, My dad was gone by this stage. My mum needed me and was useful as well because I wasn't earning much money. So I could live at home, survive off what I'd got leaving my last job and just tried to sell. That was it. And it was a painful year. But that's almost really refreshing to hear because I think people can see the success of what you've had with Rebel Business School and and with the financial course that you've got with Katie now. And although both of them are free, I, I appreciate that they are your work and they are your career. And what people tend to miss out is the bit that comes before it, or they don't see that, or they try and link it to their own lives. So to actually hear that you had a, a tough time, essentially, or that you had to work hard and invest in yourself is actually quite refreshing because you went and did what I would call training in the dark. You you went and worked while nobody was watching. <laughs> well, no one cared, Michael. It's not, like, it was not like I hid from them. Uh, there was literally no one there, no one caring, whilst I cried on the wall after sales calls or marched into London and did whatever I did. No one cared. Uh, I was just doing whatever I could to try and make progress. And I think, yeah, you're right about training in the dark. You just do what you do. But I don't think it's even training in the dark. I was trying to train in the light, um, (laughs) but there wasn't any. And you just do stuff. I just, one of these things in these early books was you just need to keep going. You just need to learn. You just need to keep pushing towards whatever it is you're pushing towards. And if you keep doing that, you will fail. It will be painful. Keep going. And in those early days, those painful fails would take two days three days a week to recover from and it was horrible and I'd bounce back and do a bit more and then fail and I'd bounce back and do a bit more and I'd fail and then eventually I started to understand like I was starting to make a difference with what I was doing it was starting to get better my first few versions were horrible and eventually you get some energy because you've done something that really helps and you start to get this desire to keep going out and doing more. And then the failures start to take, you know, a day to bounce back from, half a day to bounce back from until later on, you know, now, I don't know, half an hour if it's a big failure. 
I bounced back and had one recently. We worked very hard on a big project to create a, a TV show based on the Rebel Business School and got rejected by one of the major streaming platforms. And I got my podcast microphone out, recorded myself having a little whinge about what went wrong. And then half an hour later, I was over it and like, we'll make it happen some other way. It'll be fine. And you keep going. But I think unless you go through those first painful failures, you don't learn how to bounce back quicker. Absolutely. And you always talk about you need to have a first draft to get to the second draft and the third draft. So it's easy is probably the wrong word, but it's easier to do to come back now, as you say, because you know you've got a successful product. What about in the early days when you didn't even know if it was selling? Was it just the pure raw belief that you had something that people needed? Well, it changed my life. So I knew I knew this was awesome. It had completely changed my world. I just had to get other people to understand it and find a way to communicate it. And I just had this belief that this stuff was going to do really well. And I'm sure like other entrepreneurs have that. They're like, they make their, whatever it is, they make their specific cheese bread. And they're like, if I can just get this into the hands of the people, I know they will love it. I love this. It changed my life. I'm slightly fatter and happier now. This is amazing. (laughs) And you get it with whatever you're doing. Speaking to a guy recently who had a escape room at home business, and he just has this energy that his escape rooms brighten people's lives. So he pushes out there to sell more. And I think I just had this belief. And also someone said to me at the time, Michael, like, what's the alternative? Give up, curl into a ball, sit in the corner. That's not the life I want to live. I've not been through this pain just to give up now. (laughs) Like, I need to fix this. There is a way to fix this. Other people have done it. I just got to keep going. Sometimes that took me two days. And I think when people say this, they don't really hear two days. Two whole days of feeling down to bounce back to, I just need to do this. Like, it wasn't instant in the early days. Now I'm like, I don't care. It takes about 10 minutes (laughs) and that's fine. But in the early days, like two days of watching a Marvel movie, sitting on the couch, wondering what to do with my life, journaling about the pain I'm going through before eventually deciding, okay, I just need to get on with this. Um, And I don't think people really hear that. They just get stumped by that pain. And I think we've all been through it. It's just how quickly can you get through it? Because it's going to happen repeatedly again and again and again. And it's about your mindset and how you think about it. And I genuinely believe that the only reason I've got to where I've got to is because I've made enough mistakes and been able to keep going through them. And I do learn from other people and try not to make mistakes. Don't get me wrong, but I listen to them go do stuff and it fails completely. And then I go, why did that fail? And then I learn something new. And the quicker you go through those mistakes, you obviously learn from people, mentors, books, stuff, but the quicker you apply, go through the mistakes and then have a go, the quicker you'll get where you want to get to. Yeah, absolutely. That it leads me into nicely into the, the concept of a mentor, because I was going to ask that you mentioned the books that you, you read and the courses you went on. Those were your mentors, but it sounds as though once you reached a certain level that their guidance was good, but there was a point you had to just get going with it yourself. Yes. And I think it's different as you go through it. I do. I remember walking around the garden of my family home, listening to Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, one of the most famous 
self-development books out there. And he has the concept of a mastermind in his book. Uh, and actually had a very interesting take on the mastermind. He said, you don't even need real people. You can just read the book and then install your version of that person in your head. You read their book, you read their biography, and then you ask yourself, what would this person do in my situation? So you don't even need a physical mentor. You just need a, what would this person do? And I used to have it, I used to, like one of the early books I read was by Tim Ferriss, The 4-Hour Work Week. And I was like, what would Tim Ferriss do in this situation? And he's like, he'd probably like fire his clients half his workload and go and lie on a beach thinking about it. And it was like, what would, that, that's complete generalization, but what would Tony Robbins do? He'd probably like thump himself on the chest, get himself in a major state, smash through some walls and make it happen. And then I've got these people in my mind that I've read their books, been on their courses, learned their stuff. And I ask what they would do. And then three or four of them are giving me advice. And then eventually I go, okay, like based on all of that, what would Alan do? And then I come up with some kind of idea and take action. And that kind of mastermind idea, most of the mentors I've had in my life, I've never met. Really? That's fascinating because it, you're, you're taking their words from a, from a page, from a course, from a video. Well, then you can kind of make up what they would say. Because they, they tell you, they give you advice and you go, well, okay, this person would say this. And my later versions, when I wanted to have a bit more fun with it, is like, what would the Marvel superheroes do? What would Iron Man do in this situation? That's always an interesting question. Uh, what would Captain America do? He would stand fast. He would stick with his beliefs. He would do what's needed to do to get the right outcome. He wouldn't bend. And it makes me think, oh, that's interesting. What do I need to do? What do I actually believe? How do I impact this? What's the right thing to do here? And it inspires me to think about my actions through a different frame, a different way of thinking through someone else's eyes. And then all of a sudden, you've got different thoughts, different ideas. You're acting differently from the traditional person that just does random stuff. I'm acting differently from me because I would just do random stuff in the past and I didn't really have that background. And gradually, I think I've created my own core of values, ideas, this is the way I would interact and operate in those situations. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, from listening to your answer, it comes from who you are as a person because I read Tim Ferriss for our work week when I was 23, 24 and didn't connect with it because I was sort of fresh out of uni, didn't really understand the emails landing in your inbox and all the rest of it because I wasn't in that world yet. So I think if I read it now, it would be a completely different reaction. But um, you also mentioned mindset as well, which I think is one of your most well-known traits, certainly from from when I've spoken to you. You're always full of energy. You're always positive. And it sounds as though that you've almost had to do a bit of work on that to train yourself to be like that. So I, I'm interested to know where that mindset comes from. Well, it definitely doesn't come from my <laughs> me. Uh, <laughs> I, I was not positive. I was a mess. I mean, if you met me at school, Michael, I... I was bullied relentlessly. I hated it. I couldn't take it. I couldn't take education. It went really dark for a long time. I felt like the world was against me. People were against me. At one time in school, there was the I Hate Alan Donegan Club. And all I wanted was to be part of it. I didn't fit in. People didn't like me. I hated it. And like endless tears and more. I was not positive. I was not happy. 
I have lived in a everything is wrong, everything is rubbish mindset where I look for what's wrong, where I see the worst coming. I've lived that way. And then I read books about positivity, optimism. There's a fascinating bit in one of the Tony Robbins books, which is if you go to a party and you imagine this party around you, so everyone listening to this, imagine a party now, you're there. Imagine on one side of the room, there is a couple arguing and crying. They're upset, they're feeling down. And as you look at them arguing and crying and not having a good time, how do you feel about the party? You feel angry and upset and down. And then if you look across the other side of the room, there's a bunch of people having fun and laughing and singing and dancing and having fun. If you look over at that side of the room, how do you feel about the party? Yeah, you feel like you want to have fun too. And in any moment, what is right is available and what is wrong is available. And you can choose which one you focus on. So right now, I could go, okay, like my wife's phone was stolen last night. I could focus on the fact her phone was stolen, people are evil, we've lost some data, this is rubbish, I could feel down. Or, I'm not sure how she reacted to this this morning, but I said to her, well, we needed to update our passwords anyway. <laughs> like, you could, like, we'll get you a new phone, it'll be fine. I could focus on the opportunity, I'm speaking to Michael, we'll sort this out, we'll do it together, I'm here for you. I can choose, like, we're wealthy, we can afford a new phone. I can choose to focus on the good. And I've actually tried living both ways, Michael, and I know which one helps me feel better. So I've just made this conscious decision of, I am going to focus on what's possible because there are so many people in the world who will tell you what cannot be done. And there are very few that will tell you what's possible, what could be fun, what might happen. And I have chosen to live my life doesn't mean I don't fail. Don't get me wrong. Like some days I have my down moments. I'm normal. But in general, I've chosen to go. I want to have fun. I just want to look forwards. I just want to have fun. And like, I will always get the learning points from when things go wrong. But I just want to be positive. I just want to look forwards because I am happier. The people around me are happier. Life is better with positivity. And you can choose either one in any moment and everyone gets to choose what life they want to live. You alluded to it a little bit in that question, but given I've done your course and spoke to you a few times and, <laughs> and listened to your podcast, my next question was, do you ever have an off day? Because I've never seen it. You've never seen it. Of course I have an off day. <laughs> Things go wrong. Stuff happens. I get annoyed. People with positive intentions do things and then they annoy me. Like the Rebel Finance School, someone puts a post in there going, Bitcoin's a great investment and I want to tear my hair out and like destroy the group and tell people to stop posting about cryptocurrency because I'm not sure it is a great investment. It's gambling in my mind. And like stuff happens to me and it affects me and things go wrong and like I have bad days. Some like some days Katie and I fall out. We're not perfect. We've had some arguments recently, but we always hug afterwards and try and work out how to how to learn from it, how to get better, how to improve. And some days I just like I'm defeated. I want to go to bed at 8 8, 8 p.m. and just like I'll sleep and then I'll get up the next day and I know I'll reset and be positive after a good night's sleep. It happens to everyone. You definitely on the podcast see the edited highlights, but it happens to everyone. Like everyone has a bad day. Stuff goes wrong. It's about how you respond to it, not that it happens. And that's a perfect metaphor to link back to entrepreneurialism and, and business because things go wrong in that. So 
as much as the product is key, marketing is key, sales are key, I imagine mindset is pretty much vital as well. It's really interesting. If you have the right product and the right marketing and you go out there, that doesn't mean you won't be rejected because not everyone wants your product. I don't care what it is. Even if you have the most successful product in the history of mankind, I don't know, the Ford F-150, the most sold car in the world, not everyone wants that. Try selling it in England where we have small roads and it doesn't fit. Not everyone wants it. You will get rejected. So I don't care how good your product is, how good your marketing is. You still have to deal with rejection. You still have to deal with going out there and making things happen and getting your head straight every day. And I think actually, if you can get your your mindset straight, your head on straight, wake up positive, focus on the future, look for what's right, make things happen, even if it goes wrong in the day, you'll keep making progress because you'll keep coming back at it every day. And so much stuff has gone wrong for me. I just... I think I've just had the opportunity to get back up more times. I don't know. You can't bat me down. I'll keep going, Michael. <laughs> like, doesn't matter. I know I'll get there in the end. It'll be fine. It, and and that, that attitude is all you, all you can have. And I think, as I say, it's kind of what people come to know you for in a way that, that that energy is there and that energy can bring people along as well. You get caught up in it. Certainly from doing your, your finance course with you and Katie, there's an energy there from the minute you log on. And there's people on that finance course where it's three, four in the morning and, and they're caught up in the energy as well. So um, <laughs> it's that 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 enthusiasm that, that keeps people ticking along. Another thing you mentioned in a, in a few of your answers is the analysis, looking at things and working out why it's gone wrong or what you could do to improve in the future. I love the fact that and on so many of your podcasts, you talk about writing stuff down. I spend my life writing stuff down, doing to-do lists and all the rest of it. Analysis is key, right? For you and, and for your success. Well, how else do you learn? Yeah. There is no other way to learn. So then I, I can't remember who said this, but something about writing stuff down is freezing your thinking. So you write it down and it's literally your thoughts are frozen on paper. They're there. Then you can analyze your thoughts and go, do I actually believe this? What would this person think in this situation? What would I do differently if I did it again? And you can actually look at it. The problem most people have is they do their thinking in their head and the same thought spins round. And this, I do it when I'm thinking in my head. The thought goes round, I have a counter argument. It comes back to the same thought. And it's almost like you're in this eternal spinning doom of the same thoughts that go round and round and round and you never make any progress. Freezing your thinking on paper I choose OneNote because it's like it's incredible for me to be able to suit, search back through it. I can just like type in a term and see what I thought, and then I look back at my thoughts and go, "What that? What was I on? <laughs> what was going on?" And it's really fascinating when you look at it, and then you start to see your change over time. You start to track it. Like I've been writing goals since I don't know, probably about twenty years now. And you look back at my early goals and. I wanted a Ferrari, a Lamborghini, a four-bed house, and two kids. And then when you look at me when I was 37, I had a two-bed flat, a Skoda Citigo, uh, and no kids. And I was living a wonderful life. It was exactly what I wanted at the time. So it's really fascinating when you like freeze your thinking, journal it over time. You're right, though. Analysis paralysis can actually stop you from moving. And the key phrase for all of this is, what am I going to do about it? So... I have this little daily reflection thing I do when I, I don't do it every day. I do it when I'm a little bit off kilter and I've drawn some diagrams. I have a little battery at the top left 
where I mark how much energy I have. I have a little like scale for how much sleep I have, a little, little heart for how much I feel in love. And then I have like uh, what's in my head, what's missing. And then the key question at the end, what inspired action am I going to take? Don't care how small, but having journaled this, what am I going to do? Am I going to go and hug Katie? Am I going to send an email to someone? Am I going to write a post on the Facebook group? I don't know, like some small action. But the key is, what are you going to do about it? So every piece of journaling, every piece of work ends with, what is the action I'm going to take? Because nothing changes until you do something. And so that, for me, has always been the key. Because I think people like to journal. They like to get their thoughts out, but they don't often have the, what am I going to do based on this? That's the missing element in most people's journaling. Yeah, I was going to say that you, most people, myself included, will journal and then shut the book and think, well, I've journaled, <laughs> well, I've journaled for today, so that counts. And actually, I've done my journaling. Thanks for that. I've got it out, which there is benefit to getting it out. Don't get me wrong. There is benefit to just getting it out of your head so you can be clear and focused. There is benefit just in that alone. Absolutely. And I think there's mornings where I go back and read the previous day and go, oh, yeah, I did feel like that. And actually, I went on and did that that day, and that was great. But there's almost an element of, and I fall very foul of this, is not challenging yourself to analyze it deeper. And I think that's very key in, in listening to your podcast episodes in terms of, okay, you think that, but why is that? And once you get to that level of analysis and pushing your brain to think that little bit harder, then you'll see results. Yeah. And here's the expression, just because you think it doesn't mean it's true. And I think so many people take their thoughts as fact. Like I thought this, therefore it is a fact. I feel this way permanently. That's not true. That's one momentary feeling that comes in and out. And thoughts aren't truth. They're just the way you feel and think at that moment. So write it down and see if you feel the same the next day or not. Like we need to stop treating our, th our thoughts as fact. Like write it down and then question it. Do I, does this really mean this? Do I believe this? Are there instances and things that have happened that are the opposite? And sometimes there are. You like have instances and you think, well, actually, this time it went this way. This time it went this way. Neither of those are true. It's just a way of being, a thing. And I think if we stop treating all of our thoughts as fact and truth and go, well, because like you, the bit we build is the fact and truth is based on generalization. So what many people do is they launch a business, they have one go at selling and they go, that was painful. The person rejected me. I hate sales. Now you have created a gross generalization based on one experience that you hate all of sales. Do you hate all of sales? Did you just not find the right customer? Did you not approach it the right way? Could you have another go? How could we do sales ethically and happily that makes you feel good? There's so many questions there, but I think people create these gross generalizations and I understand why they do it. It actually keeps you safe. Generalizations are good in a way because like if I asked you to walk up to a door and open it, if the door was slightly different to every door you've ever used, would you still be able to have a go? Your gut says not. Your gut says be, caut be cautious. Well, most people go, I know roughly how doors work. I'll twist the knob and see if it pulls or pushes. Oh, yeah. I should have added the, a little asterisk that I'm a massive wimp on anything that I don't know what's behind. <laughs> so I, if that was aimed personally at me, I'd be asking a lot of questions before I go anywhere near that door. 
most people have created a generalization that they know roughly how doors work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they go up to it with some kind of level of confidence that this is a door. It's either going to be push, pull, twist, or like stand there and like wave at the thing to make it open. Those are my general options. And that works in 99.9% of instances. So that gross generalization actually helps us to make progress in life. And you're not worried about every door you go to going, this door might be different. I might be in trouble. So generalizations are incredibly powerful and useful in one area of your life. But in other areas of your life, they can be incredibly destructive because people will take one bad experience and generalize that they hate that for all eternity. And therefore, it forever traps them from experiencing those things, trying those things. Maybe it's sales, maybe it's marketing, maybe it's whatever. Like they've had one bad experience and they go, that's it. That's it for that thing. Never doing it again. And that kind of generalization can kill you. So I avoid generalizations in those areas of my life like the plague. Have you ever suffered from analysis paralysis? And and if so, did you ever officially get over it, as silly as that sounds? (laughs) I absolutely suffered from it. I used to spend so long writing business plans or thinking about stuff for, like, I don't know, like I just spent so much time thinking. And then you'd like going into a meeting and I've already thought through, if they say this, I'll say this, this and this. If they say that, I'll say this. And I've got so many different options in my head and I've thought it all through. And at some point I went, and I don't know when I got over this. I have no idea when, but it just happens. I just need to do it. I just need to do it. And the instance that came to mind, which I'll share with you, was I I used to never be able to approach people that I wanted to date. Couldn't talk to them, was scared, would think about everything that could go wrong, was nervous, shy, unconfident, couldn't do it. And then at some point, I had to do it. Otherwise, you have this thought of if I don't start talking to uh, people, I will die alone. So I had to do it. But it was like days of build up. And then I was like, okay, I've just got to do it. Just got to do it. Make the phone call. Do it, do it, do it. And did it. And then it didn't work. And then you feel painful again. But at some stage, I learned the sort of you've just got to take action. Because if you keep analyzing and thinking, you will never do anything and it's the doing that creates the magic. There was one piece, which I have no idea where this came from. I call it now the three-second rule. If there's a phone call you need to make, if there's an email you need to send, if there's a person at a networking event you want to talk to, one, two, I'm just going to do it. If you wait longer than three seconds, you will talk yourself out of it. Like, what if it goes wrong? What if they say this? You'll look for all the negatives. And now I'm just like, okay, I need to do it. Just make the phone call, press the dial button. It's already ringing. I'm screwed. I'll just get it over with. (laughs) We'll see what happens. And it always goes better than I think it will. It always does. But it's that going, it's limiting the thinking at those points of action. And again, what's really interesting is that we started this conversation talking about being a mentor and and looking for people for guidance. But using your dating uh, analogy as an example, I don't imagine that there was a mentor for that. And and, and that sort of uh, self-development has come from yourself, not from any guidance of of elsewhere. Kind of from a range of books. And I'm going to sound really douchey now, but I believe you can learn anything from a book. So I've read books on every particular subject because I wanted to get better. And I've bought courses. I've done CD sets. I don't care what it is. There is somewhere, someone out there that has figured out how to get or do what you want to do. 
all you need to do is read their stuff. And books talk about incredible for five pounds, ten dollars, you get someone's best thinking for two decades on the subject. Like, talk about value. Take their best thinking and go and apply it. Buy a book on negotiation and test it out. Like, talk about incredible value. Incredible value. And I've spent a fortune on self-development over the years. Some of it's been great. Some of it's been bad. But it makes such a difference. So I truly believe you can learn anything. You just need to find someone who's done it, get the ideas, get their book, get their CD set, and then start doing it, testing it. And that self-development, again, from from knowing your uh, your CV, if you like, that I know you've done presentations and that kind of thing, and you're able to talk in front of many, many people. My next question was about, uh, and I appreciate the podcast ed- is edited, but you, you seem to get to the point very quickly, very efficiently, and very accurately. So where does that trait come from, and how important is that in uh, in your day-to-day life? <laughs> Communication is one of the most important skills you can ever get. Presenting sales, like, using sales in presenting, communicating, public speaking, it's incredibly important. And when I left the landscape company, I wanted to set up a training business, but I realized I'd never really done presentations before. So uh, I joined Toastmasters, started reading books on presenting. I went to Toastmasters, I think for seven, eight years, pretty much consistently became president of the club area governor. I entered all the contests. I got to the top four in the country at humor of public speaking. Like I won every competition. I lost every competition. (laughs) I learned a lot. I found these people that were the champions, world champions of public speaking, and they'd done podcasts and course materials. And there's a guy called Craig Valentine, who's a world champion of public speaking. And he's got this website, 52 speaking tips that he gives away one tip a week for free. I couldn't wait once a week, so I cracked the code on the pages and just read them all in about three days. But I just took the same attitude to learning that as I did everything else. And I think someone said to me years ago, if you read the top three books on any subject, you probably know more than most people in the world. So I go out religiously and read the top three books. I go on the courses. I read the CD sets, listen to the CD sets. I do everything. And then I know so much about that subject. And then I go and apply it, learn it and have a go. And Simon, my business partner, likes to say to me regularly, like Alan's the guy that's forgotten more about self-development than most people know in total. And he's probably true because I then have to go back. Like if I'm doing a presentation again, I go through back through my notes, re-remember what I did, have another go at it. But you just, you can learn anything from this stuff, Michael, anything. So I just went out and went, I am going to learn how to present. And then someone eventually said, you're pretty good at this. You should run a course on it. I did. I enjoyed it. I ran more courses on it and then ended up teaching it. Yeah. One of my favorite claims to fame is I used to run a course on PowerPoint for Microsoft. If anyone knows, Microsoft know, or you would think they do now after your coaching. (laughs) I had a lot of fun with presentations, slides and changing the way people look at it. And my style tended to be quite opposite of the traditional style, which actually created better results because you stand out, you see something different. See, that's really interesting as well, because uh, you've guided me beautifully into my next question, which is a lot of what you stand for, both with Rebel Business School and in the world of FI as well, is against societal beliefs, these stereotypical views that 
the the bulk of the nation, if you like, has. When did you have that moment, both for yourself and perhaps for Katie as well, where in your own careers you thought, this is, I'm going to do it my way and see what happens? When was that moment? I don't know if there was an actual moment. I remember reading the books. And so some of the books I read on presenting said, how does everyone start their presentations? Well, everyone starts with, hello, my name's Alan. Uh, I'd like to talk to you today about entrepreneurship. I've been an entrepreneur for 20 years and I've got a lot of value to share. And that's how everyone starts their presentations. It's the most boring start in the world. So why don't you do it in a different way in this particular I can't even remember which one it came from, but this was like, try it in a different way. And then I was like, oh, I could try this and I'll ask a question or I'll tell a story or I'll do this. And if everyone else does it this way, why don't I try it that way and see what happens? Then I started to get rewarded for that. And at some stage, I realized that everything is made up by people. All the rules are made up by people. And don't get me wrong, I'm not going to go around challenging the rule not to kill people. I quite like that one. Yeah, that works very one. well in life. It's a very big one. And I have a like my own set of rules of be nice to people, look after people. I think those are very important things. Most of societal rules are you have to do it this way because I said so. Why? And I started to realise that actually most of that stuff held people back rather than help people make progress. And all of this is made up. People tell you how to do things. People tell you what's right. People tell you what's wrong. And I had a couple of strong experiences very early on. One was arguing a court case to try and keep the family home from the bank. And the judge said this particular law didn't apply to mortgages. And I knew it did. And we argued in court. And he was the judge. He had a gavel. He won. But he was completely wrong completely wrong and he tried to take our family home he actually like massively adversely affected our family life because he didn't know the law properly and like we took him to appeal but like that cost us so much i had this experience that even a judge doesn't know everything they don't know what's necessarily right or wrong or all this stuff they're making it up just like the rest of us so i suddenly had this thought if judges if doctors if these people get it wrong well I'm not going to trust everything they say. I'm going to work it out for myself and do what I want to do. And I definitely don't trust them because they get it wrong. I'm going to think independently, work out what I think is right, and then battle for that. And those early experiences, like that moment when the judge cracks the gavel, takes away your family home, your mum bursts out into tears, and you know it's rubbish, it's crap. It's just, it's not true what he's just said. And that will stick with you and go, I don't care what they say, that's wrong. Mm. I'm going to stand up for what's right. And I suddenly had this epiphany of I don't, I'm not going to follow the rules, I'm going to do what I think is right. What's what's best for people, what's best for me, what's best for the environment, what's best for family. I'm going to do what I think is right, not just follow the rules that someone else made up. And, and that again links again to mindset, I suppose, because I, I know I'm aware I'm jumping around, but it would have been very easy for you to, to go away and curl up in a ball and hate the world at that point, wouldn't it? It would have been very easy. That would, that would have been far easier than the approach I took, which was appealing against it and spending two years <laughs> fighting them in court. That would have been far easier to curl up in a ball and just move on with life and maybe take a council house or go on benefits or do something else. But I was like, no, this is wrong. This is fundamentally wrong and I am unwilling to accept it. 
I think that's stuck with me ever since. I don't care what people say. If I don't think it's the best way to do things or I think there's a better way to help people, I will stand up for it and I will stand up for other people very strongly. I hate, hate bullies. And I will stand up for anyone that gets bullied by people. I don't care who it is, what the size of the company, I will take them down, Michael, because it's just not right. Absolutely. There's a rallying call if I ever heard one. That was a a man on a mission. I get a little bit frustrated sometimes. And yeah, I definitely like don't see things. I, I will not tolerate bullies, things being done wrong, people being put down. I will stand up for people. And I think one of the reasons that that probably resonates with so many people is because in their own individual lives, they can see that whether that's in the workplace, in their own personal relationships or whatever form of life that they're living, because linking to the set rules of, um, you know, you go to work and you climb the ladder and you play by the rules and you do what's needed. And actually, certainly in your line of work where creativity is huge and you are, you know, an entrepreneur and and have a a number of ideas that you want to bring to the table, I imagine a a manager who doesn't agree is not going to be your friend in helping you achieve those things. Probably why I didn't make a good employee and kept getting (laughs) fired or asked to leave or stuff like that. Yeah, I remember one particular incident at the landscape firm and we had this contract and the client was really upset with us. And I went along to the client meeting and they were really upset we weren't doing this work. And I discovered why we weren't doing the work was because the piece of work they wanted us to do was not on the maps of what they'd asked us to do. And like, it took a long time to get to that. And then eventually, like I worked out, we needed to consolidate maps, do all this other stuff. And like, I created big change within that company. And the other people within the company didn't like it. They were like, that's not the way we do things. We do things this way. I'm like, well, it doesn't work. <laughs> Clients annoyed, don't really care. We need to change. And that attitude didn't go down well when you're working in a more traditional organization. But for an entrepreneur, it works very well because yeah. people love having problems fixed and you don't have that structure around you that says that's not the way we do things. And it's also why I end up butting heads against lots of the big organizations because they tell me that's not how we do things. And I hate that. I hate it. And I fight them over it. And I say, well, I don't really care whether that's your policy or not. It's not right. And then you end up fighting them, pressuring them, doing different things. But I won't back down because I don't think it's right. I will take them. And you you ask Henry or Jack or anyone else at the team, they're always amazed at how much I stand up for this stuff. Probably like I shouldn't spend so much time doing it. I should just get over it and move on. I have this sense of right and wrong from the start that... Yeah, I think people should be treated well and looked after well, and I don't care who you are. And actually, the bigger the organisation that treats you badly, the more I want to take you down, because you shouldn't be bullying the little people. Yeah, and when you say it, it's it's so easy to nod. You know, I'm sitting here nodding because it's exactly how it should be. But somewhere along the way, that, that may have got lost in a few corporations, perhaps. <laughs> well, yeah, they just have processes, and that's the way it's done. And you can understand that because they need processes because they're very big, but you've lost individual thought. And processes cannot cover every eventuality. Not everything will fit in a box. And that's life. And that's where things get interesting is around the margins and the edges and the different things that happen. That's where it gets interesting. That's also where you can find opportunity to fix things. 
Absolutely. I know we've nearly talked for an hour, so I know I, uh, I I will wrap this up very quickly. But you mentioned Henry and Jack there, and I just wanted to delve into your team ethic because you are always quick to praise Katie or KC or Henry and Jack there that you just praised or Simon. How important is partnerships in both a sort of mentoring idea in, in keeping with the theme of the podcast, but also in making progress in what you want to do? Well, I think... I spent so many years as a solo entrepreneur that I didn't have people around me and it got a bit lonely. Then I hired Henry and Katie laughs at me occasionally. I just hire my friends. <laughs> it's like you just pay people to hang out with you. That's not true. <laughs> I have real friends as well. But one of the things that I repeat is everything you want in life is done through or with other people. I don't care what it is. If you're an author, you might think, I just sit at my laptop, write my book and put it out there. You still need a publisher and clients and fans and promotion and mark. You still need people around you. Nothing is a solo venture. It's all about the people around you. And if you're trying to do everything on your own, that's just impossible. You can't. You cannot do everything on your own. So I realized that a long time ago. And now... I just want to be surrounded by cool people, Michael. I just want to (laughs) do cool stuff with cool people and hang out and have fun. Most people don't realize they're cool. So I just like to tell them they are. Like, you are cool. I've loved this. This is amazing. Let's hang out. Let's do more. Let's have fun. And yeah, you can't do it all on your own. Like, just do it with cool people. Find people you love. And if you're an introvert, you've just not found the right people yet. Get back out there and find someone that gives you energy. Find someone that builds you up because they exist. And everything you want in life is done with or through other people. Which is actually a lovely way to round off the episode because you cannot do it alone. We started an hour ago talking about mentors and the importance of having someone to look to and to to get guidance from and essentially go and do it once you've learned enough from them. But how nice is it to round it off by saying you can't do it alone and it's nice to surround yourself with other people as well. It's a wonderful ending. Michael, I've actually loved doing this with you. It's been great fun. You are full of insight and questions and thoughts and I've really enjoyed doing this and a podcast would be boring if it was just me talking (laughs) into a microphone every time. So uh, yeah, thank you for making this such a wonderful episode. If people want to find out more about what you do or who you are, where do they go? That's a very good question. I am all across the social medias. So uh, M Redford 17. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't update them all as religiously as I should do. But uh, uh, but yeah, I uh, you can find me there. And uh, I'm always, I'm very similar. I think one of the reasons we connect, Alan, is I'm, I just like to have a chat. I like to talk to people. Now, whether that's a good thing or not, I'm not sure, but I'm just a bit nosy, basically. And you gave me a platform <laughs> to be a bit nosy. So um, so I appreciate you being so open and you've answered questions uh, that I'm sure many people wanted answering. So thank you so much. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. And if you're listening to this, the people that you surround yourself with will make such a difference in your life. Go find mentors. They don't even have to be real. Go find real people. Find friends. Surround yourself with uplifting people that make you feel better after you've met them. And that will have an incredible impact on your life. Thank you for listening to The Rebel Entrepreneur. The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. 
Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur.